Amen, Lord. That's our prayer. Bless the Lord who forgives our sin. Almighty God, you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. This Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. (sighs) Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what I have done and by what I have left undone, I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit.
For grace and mercy. To you, with you and the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. This week, we'll be inviting all of our academy teachers and those affiliated and all of the Sunday school teachers along with all the kids associated with both, to come on up and light the candle with us. Come on up. Come on up. All you kids, come on up. And then, hey, kids, after we're done lighting the wreath, just stay up here, okay? Okay, don't don't leave because Bishop's going to bless you. And then... Next week, before we light the Advent candle, uh, next week, these same kids, Sunday School and Academy children, are going to be performing a special, a really nice special at the offering. So please be sure to be here for that. Please be sure to be here by the offering, at least. So, technically the gospel, but be here by the offering. All right, who is going to light the Advent wreath for us? Debbie, get up here. Debbie, you should, you should light the admin wreath.
Oh, come, come and save us, O Lord God of hosts. Save us, O Lord God of hosts. Show the light of your countenance and we shall be saved. Lord God of hosts. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Come and save us, O Lord God of hosts. Show us your mercy, O Lord. That's your salvation. The kids stay right here, okay? Father Lewis, are you going to do the blessing? Come on up here close. Come on up here. Scoop in here. There you go. Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing upon them. They're going, Lord, to learn about you. You have all the answers, Lord. First and foremost, give it to their minds that you are the answer. You came, Lord, just for them. And the blessing of Almighty God is upon them as they remain in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't forget you. (laughs) All right. All right, who's up? And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. And the habitation of jackals for each lay, that shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransom of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 146. We'll read it by the half verse. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Do not put your trust in princes, 
his spirit departs, he returns to his earth. In that very day, his planet perished. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help. Whose hope is in the Lord his God. Who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Who leads truth forever. Who executes justice for the oppressed. Who gives food to the hungry. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God is mine for all generations. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and will be forever. This morning's second reading comes from James, chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Matthew, chapter 11, chapter 11, beginning at verse 2. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But when did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. But this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. 
Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not been, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The gospel of our Lord. Praise be to thee, Lord Christ. open with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray today that you would fill us with hope, anticipation, and expectation, for you are coming. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we have come to the long end of Exodus. We're going to stay away from it for a little bit. This is a great picture. You can throw that back up there. That was that. We got to take a second and look at this. I was looking for a picture for my sermon today, and when I looked up the promised land, this is the picture that came forward. <laughs> Looks pretty good to me. I like that. I don't know why that was the very first picture that came up, and I don't know why it's blinking. But either way, we'll go to the one I actually chose. I didn't want anybody to be too distracted. I didn't want any um, thoughts of lunch coming up to be interfering with us. But uh, we're going to talk today finally about the promised land. And it's going to be fun because the, the Israelites have been journeying now in the desert. We've been walking through with them. And we know because we're really good at Sunday school and our Bible teachers taught us that the Israelites wandered for 40 years. Or maybe you remember uh, the, the Veggie Tales. 40 years in the desert. Like it's a real thing of this misery that they had to walk through. I don't know about any of you. None of my trials so far have been 40 years long, but I'm only 30, so we've got 10 more years to go. There is something about this long, drawn-out story that calls to something deep inside of us. It's the same calling as Advent. It's the idea that where we're at is actually not where we're meant to be. Now, you can get this confused, Yes, God put you where you are right now. So yes, you're meant to be there. But you're not meant to stay there. There is also a future where we experience the true essence of the kingdom of God, the presence of Jesus. But I'm here today to invite you not only into the anticipation, the expectation, but to know that you can experience that now. It's the, the tension in Christianity is, yes, we will meet Jesus today in this service. And yes, you will meet Jesus when you die. And yes, there will be a coming where Jesus will make everything right. And he'll wipe away every tear. So foster that expectation, that hope. We are living, in a way, in the desert with the Israelites, looking forward to the promised land. But the unique Revelation of Jesus Christ teaches us that we also can be in the promised land today. So let's talk through that. I'll try and flesh it out a little bit. I hope you've taken good notes over the past 17 weeks. This is our 14th sermon in Exodus. There's tests on the way out. They're due next week. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I wouldn't even do that to my worst enemy. Uh, we're going to talk about what happened to these Israelites that made them from 400 years in slavery to a promised land people. So they went through this slavery in Egypt, and I'm kind of summing up what we've talked about in the past little bit. 
And then guess what? They started crying out for salvation. I mentioned that because there's some of us in here who are in a place where we need God's help and we haven't asked him. I know that because I've been in that place where I try and do it on my own strength and I don't cry out for salvation. Did you know that the way God operates is such that he wants us to ask him for help? We actually have to ask him for him to come and save us. Now, he is working all things for our benefit. But if you're in that place today, don't forget this necessary point in their story. They were in slavery and they cried out for help and God heard them. And God hears you today. Then guess what happens? A savior is born and the king, the tyrant, tries to kill him by killing all of the Hebrew babies. Sounds familiar, right? Hey, that happened at Christmas too. A savior was born and the king tried to kill him by killing all of the Hebrew babies, all the male babies. We're in Advent anticipating our own exodus. I know we've been talking about this for weeks, so you're like, duh, Jesse, but let's just, let's go over this. We are expecting God to set us free this Advent, this Christmas. We are expecting to experience the salvation of God. So then the Savior comes and frees the people of God with signs and wonders. Same way that Jesus frees us with his signs and wonders. He takes them through the waters of baptism in the Red Sea. Same way that we entered into the kingdom. And then they're led in the wilderness for 40 years. And just like Jesus was led after his baptism into the wilderness for 40 days. Keep this in mind. The symbolism is throughout and it is purposeful. They have been saved, but they have to learn to be a promised land people. And I would argue that we have been saved, and this whole series has been about us learning to be a promised land people who not only get to the promised land, but take the promised land with us wherever we go. So they have to learn a few lessons along the way. They have to learn, and remember this, to look to the Lord for their provision. That's why they get the manna from heaven water out of the rock, quail that literally falls out of the sky. That's pretty awesome. They have to learn to look to the Lord for their provision. There was no place in this whole desert that God couldn't provide. Did you know that? There's no story of the Israelites getting to a place in the desert where there's no water, no food, and some of them die because they're starving. We don't get that story. The story we get is that God provides. No matter how bad the desert gets, he provides. Then they have to learn to act according to the ways of the Lord. They're given the Ten Commandments. And what are those about? Those are about not God saying, here, these are my, this is my pronouncement. Do this or I'll be angry at you. No, what they're about is they learn to live a certain way as slaves in Egypt. We, each of us, have learned to live a certain way living in the world. As slaves to hunger, as slaves to consumerism, as slaves to our own puffed up ideas of ourselves. We have learned to live some kind of way. And the call of Advent is prepare the way of the Lord in your life. Repent. The kingdom is at hand. Repent. The promised land is at hand. So we have to learn to live. And the Ten Commandments are actually the ways that God breaks the hold of the gods of Egypt on the people of Israel. He breaks the hold when they submit themselves to living according to his principles, his commands. 
And he's bringing them to a land that flows with milk and honey. But you know what? If you find a land that flows with milk and honey, you're going to have to be the type of people who can protect the cows or the goats, who can nurture them, who can milk them. And you're going to have to be the type of people who are strong enough to go into the layer where the bees are and get that honey. Slaves don't do that of their own free will. They had to be taught how to be a people who could support themselves as a promised land people. They look to God for their provision, and they know how to live in the world such that they can harvest the milk and harvest the honey that God has put in their way. That's an interesting idea for us. I think God has given us milk and honey that we're not harvesting or that we're not protecting. Ask him, where have you provided in my life and I'm ignoring it? I'm not paying attention to it or I'm too lazy to go out and get it. They had to learn to worship God in spirit and in truth. There's chapters and chapters of this book that we skipped thank the Lord, because it was these prescriptions of how they're supposed to worship God in minutest detail. Now, we skip them because that's not the way that we've been taught to worship, but there's some principles in there that we need to know. And I'm going to sum it all up by saying you have to orient yourself such that you worship the highest thing, which is God. That's what worship's all about. When we sing these songs where we declare the goodness of God, the power of God, his saving grace in our life, what we're doing is we're changing our perspective. There's a lot of songs out there that will change your perspective. I can't even quote most of them because they will change your perspective to follow what is the highest thing, whether that's sex, power, drugs, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. There's a reason why we have to come and actually worship God, not just in our music, but in our actions and the words we say, because the whole world is trying to orient you towards its highest good, which is to get you to spend their money on their things, to get you to give your attention to their things. The enemy is seeking who he may devour. And so they had to orient themselves through the practice of worship. So if you're asking why God gave chapters and chapters of instructions of how to worship him, it's because they needed to change the way that they lived such that they were oriented towards God. All of this so that they could go into the promised land. And I'm telling you today, all of this so you can go into the promised land. And then they had to learn to be the people of God together. One of the most difficult things in all of Scripture is how to be the people of God with other people. We can sometimes get a hold of the idea of, well, God is so big, I should be holy towards him. But Bob over there, who's pulling your, like just getting on your nerves, he doesn't deserve to be in the people of God. We can really get ourselves twisted in knots if we're not careful. And so again, there's chapters of rules about how to love your neighbor well. Jesus told us the whole law and prophets is love God and love your neighbor. So to be the people of God, you also have to be the people of God together. Warts and all. And through that, God also had to teach him a thing or two about authority. We had a whole sermon based on authority and the spiritual authority that God puts in our life. Both that you have to work as under the Lord in your job. That might be the most important thing that we have to start with. Because you see your boss every day and he's making demands of you. And how you orient yourself towards that will change your life. If you're angry and bitter 
and doing just enough to get by, or you're wheeling and dealing and trying to get ahead by your own plotting and maneuvering, you're living enslaved to your own will and desires. But if you live and you submit yourself and you say, I'm looking for godly ways to submit to authority. I'm working as if Jesus was my boss. That means if your boss tells you to lie, you don't lie. I mean, it does come with places where you can say, you're not, that's not good, right? But we live in such a way as to serve Jesus even in our secular jobs with our secular bosses. All of this is about learning to be the people of God in community and in relationship. Because God had a bigger plan. He was going to bring this people, this Israel, into the promised land. And he was going to make them the type of people that could invite other people into the promised land. So not only am I inviting you today to orient yourself towards being a promised land people, I'm inviting you today to experience, taste, and see that the Lord is good so that you can invite the world into that salvation as well. And that's where we get to this last part. They had to learn to bring the presence of God with them. Last week, we talked about Moses, and his defining moment was when God said, I'll make you a great people, I'll send you into the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses said, no. Why should I go to the promised land if you're not going to be there? He chose God over the promise. And so that's why we have the section on the tabernacle, the house of God bringing the presence of God with them so that even in the desert, what did we read in our Old Testament? There would be streams in the desert, roses blossoming in the wilderness. I mean, the promises are actually out of this world that even in the place of death, God could bring life. That's what it means to bring the presence of God with you. And so we talk about all this, but where there's actually a story I want to get into. This is what happens when the Israelites encounter the promised land for the first time. I'll give you a quick warning. They don't respond well. Let's just start there. As we've seen this pattern through every sermon, the Israelites don't respond well at first. And so we're going to talk about this real briefly, this encounter, and then we'll wrap it up and talk about what does that mean for us in Advent. And we started Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. This is after the Ten Commandments, after Mount Sinai. God has led them to the brink of the promised land. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men, out to spy, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So this is the plan. God says, hey, the promised land's right there. Let's go scout the territory. Not a bad idea, right? There are still people in this day, I believe, that God sends out to see his promises. This is a little side note here. There are prophets. There are apostles. There are leaders in the church who God gives revelations of what he wants to do. That's part of the reason why the whole me, Jesus, and my Bible thing doesn't work. God has built the church such that we get to look to our bishop to our prophets, to our leaders in our church to help us see the promises of God in our life. Just a side note, God's sending these chiefs out into the land. But there's another element to this because you know what? The spies don't do a good job here. And so I just want to say 
Those people that God has put in that position to prophesy, to see the promises of God, to help lead the people of God, they have a great responsibility to bring the good report, the report that God wants. Okay, so the spies go into the land. Moses says, get some fruit. And in fact, this picture is an is a artist representation. You see that between those two men, you might not be able to see it, is a huge bunch of grapes that's about as big as they are tall. This is an artistic representation of how good the promised land is, right? Could you imagine you've been in the desert eating bread and meat, and somebody comes in with a huge bundle of grapes? How good would that be? That moment where you're like, oh, God was telling the truth. Pretty good of him. So at the end of these 40 days, they come back with this fruit, and the spies give their report. They came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, they could have just stopped there, man. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. And they damned themselves with that one word, however. I see the promise of God, but... I see the goodness of God, but how often do we live our life based on that however? I see the promise of God, however, it's not for me, or it's too hard, or it's not what I expected. There's an implication that God has somehow misled them, that God's tricking them. Yes, he showed them the promises, but look at all these bad people. Well, guess what? Back when God was making the promise, what did he say? You might not remember. He said, I'm going to kick out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites. I'm going to get rid of them all, the Jebusites. He warned them. He said, I will give it to you. And yet, when they saw the fortifications, when they saw those people arrayed against them, they gave in to fear. But Caleb, ooh, I like this guy, quieted the people before Moses. And what did he say? He said, let us go up at once to occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. If you don't have a Caleb in your life, get you one. Get somebody who, when you're praying for the promises of God, will agree with you and say, yeah, let's go do it. Because none of us can do it alone. If all you have are the people telling you how impossible it is, it's going to be really hard to hold on to that faith of what God's spoken in your life. We are meant to encourage each other. And if you have a Caleb, imagine how good it would be if you were a Caleb too. If you went out and were a Caleb for somebody else, somebody in this room needs you to tell them that God is going to fulfill his promises and not to be afraid. Caleb was paying attention. Caleb was thinking God already slew Egypt. God already provided us food and water in the desert. He came to us in his glory on Mount Sinai. We are well able to overcome the enemies in the promised land. But you know what? The Israelites were living in a different story. Here's, here's what I think was going on in the, in the minds of the Israelites. We were slaves in Egypt. 
This guy Moses, he showed up and rescued us from the Egyptians and brought us to the desert, probably to kill us. And sure, we have just enough food and water to survive, but we ate better in Egypt. We were more comfortable in Egypt. And now we come to find out that Moses was promising us that God was going to give us this land. And now there's all these enemies occupying it. This is just disaster after disaster after disaster. And you think, that's not what I read in Scripture. But how often do we do that to God? How often do we think, sure, God provided me a job when I asked for one. Sure, he gave me a place to live. And yeah, I haven't gone hungry. He's provided everything I need. But you know what? I hate my job now. And I have to buy bargain food instead of the good stuff because of the prices in the grocery store. Or I have to go to the society and get free food because I can't afford to get my own stuff. And I can't afford the place that he gave me to live in because I don't even like it anyway. And the house that I was promised is insanely expensive due to the housing market. And I, I'm just stuck. I don't know, it sounds pretty similar to some of the thoughts that I get. And yet, buried in there is the same story as the Israelites in the desert. I needed a job. God gave me a job. I needed more money. God gave me more money. I needed to eat. God provided food. I needed to live. I have a place to live. I could tell that story completely reverse. Man, if God has done all these things, why couldn't he give me a house? Why couldn't he give me a new place to work? Why couldn't he give me that car? Whatever it is you're praying for, our story needs to change. We're telling ourselves the wrong story. If you're walking around depressed and anxious, it's because you're telling yourself the wrong story. The truth of Advent is Jesus is coming. Jesus has come and Jesus will come again. Amen? And we have everything we need provided by his riches and glory. So what's the deal with Caleb? Is he blind? No, he's just living in a different story. He's living in a story where God shows up and provides everything they need, where God grants them the victory, where, yes, God asks them to follow him, to submit to him, but then he gives them the victory. So why wouldn't I do that again? That's what Caleb's thinking. And then the men hear Caleb and they say, hey, hold on. We're not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. So not only are they telling Moses and Aaron, but they're whispering in the minds of the people. They're walking around telling everybody. The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw there in it are of great height. They're giants. And we saw the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. It's all about perspective, isn't it? They have a problem. They have two problems, actually. One is they think that the land God has promised them is not good enough. It's a land that devours the people. Two, they think that the people in it are too hard to overcome. They're giants. They're even the sons of Anak, who's like this great people. They're supposed to be strong. They have some reputation in the area. They're, they're, they're really big and strong. And then lastly, they actually have a third problem. We are like grasshoppers. They think of themselves as bugs, not the people of God. How different is that from the story that we love, the story of David and Goliath, where he goes up to Goliath and says, you dare to question the people of God? Completely different stories going on in their heads. 
Fear is the enemy of faith. Don't give it a place in your heart. We also do this one thing. We get afraid of something, and then we start coming up with all the reasons why we have every right to be afraid. Something enters our heart. Some, maybe somebody that I love is going to get in a car accident. And you know what? There are this many car accidents every year, and then it's raining, and people don't know how to drive. And, the, and you build a case in your head for fear instead of, that's not my story. My story is one of faith. My story is one where I trust God. Doesn't mean bad things don't happen, but it definitely means you live in a different story. You live in a story where God shows up when the bad things happen, where God redeems you when you need it, when you need him. So the people of Israel respond to this story. And as you might expect, if you've been following along, they're pretty angry. They're pretty despairing. And it says, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. They're on the threshold of the promised land, the place where they've been journeying, the place where God has been bringing them. And they're weeping and they are depressed and despairing. How many times have you been on the threshold of the promises of God and you're crying out against him? God, why did you bring me here? How many times has he got? He's like, I've gotten you so close. And you're crying out. Why did you bring me here? It gets worse. The whole congregation says, oh, and the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This is pretty bad. This is about as ungrateful untrusting, unfaithful as the Israelites are bound to get. And you know what? This response cost them the promised land for 40 years. This is when God says, because they have responded that way, I will not bring them into the promised land until this entire generation that came out of Egypt dies. I feel convicted because I've been the Israelites. I have complained to God about the places he's brought me, the places that I want to go, the places where I am. We all need a humble pill today. But buried in that humility is a trust in the joy that is coming. Buried in the pill of humility is the joy that is coming that God has for each of us. Now, here's the problem with Israel. I'll sum it up real easy. They chose the wrong person to listen to. And in our world where everyone's screaming their message at you, listen to me, the world is ending, listen to me, do it this way, everything's falling apart. Who are you listening to? Because they chose to listen to the spies, not to Caleb and not to Joshua, who also had a good report. Who are you listening to on your podcast, your YouTube, your whatever? Or maybe you're just watching the movies because... Trust me, they're trying to get your attention. Who are you listening to? They needed a complete transformation to become a people who could go into the promised land, who could conquer their enemies, who could harvest the milk and honey, who could protect and witness to the world of the kingdom of God. Amen? And Caleb and Joshua are the only ones out of that generation who are allowed to enter because they contradicted the report. Here's Joshua's response, and we'll end 
shortly. The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land. For they are bread for us. I love that line. They are like served up on a silver platter. They're bread. We're going to go right through them. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. St. Michael's, today, as you look on the landscapes of the enemy in the world who are out to get you, who are out to destroy freedom, to destroy the people of God, do not be afraid. They are bread for us. Their protection has been removed. God is for us. Who can stand against us? Then all the congregation said, stone Joshua and Caleb with stones. Man, they just don't get it. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. So what happens? They wander the desert for 40 years. God grinds them down. He makes them who he's supposed to be. And Joshua leads them into the promised land. You know what Joshua's name is? Yeshua. You know what Jesus' name is? Yeshua. And a symbol once again that we are the people who get led into the promised land by Joshua, by Jesus, by Yeshua. Everyone here today, I don't know where you're at, but I bet you, you know what it's like to be in the desert, spiritually. Sometimes the desert's really nice, you know. But spiritually, we're talking about the desert. And I'm inviting each of you today and in this Advent to get rid of that stuff that's clogging you up, that's blocking you, that's blinding you. Put it aside. Come into the promised land. We can live there. Jesus has made a way. And that's what brings me back to our collect this morning, and we'll end with a prayer. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us, because we are sorely hindered by our sins. Let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. 
and I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. For all the good things the Savior will bring. Therefore, with patience and confidence, let us bring our needs to him. The patriarch, all bishops, priests, and deacons will be endowed with the wisdom, favor, and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, in your mercy, the God's people will never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the only means of salvation. Lord, in your mercy, that world leaders will diligently work for harmony with other nations and show a genuine concern for all their people. Lord, in your mercy, that all expecting mothers like Mary, the mother of Jesus, will welcome and nurture the new life God is entrusting to them. Lord, in your mercy, that those who are suffering from blindness, deafness, or other debilitating infirmities will experience healing and peace through Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy, that our children and our grandchildren will commit their ways to the Lord and dedicate their lives to serving his people. Lord, in your mercy, for our own special intentions. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, you restore all things. Hear our prayer. Give us the grace to remain faithful unto the end. We ask Christ our Lord. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you. With your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbor with the peace of God. That's a great word. Hey, Eric. All right, the Lord be with you. Christmas, I call it Sea Day. You know, they have a D-Day. This is Sea Day. We're going to have a wonderful service on Christmas Eve. We hope you'll all come and participate, sing a wonderful uh, carols and songs. And uh, what do we have for the Academy? Anything? Well, we do have our... Uh Christmas concert that'll be on the um, 21st, 22nd at 8 a.m. 8 a.m. And also, I think uh, Santa's going to drop some things by for the kids, and uh, we're going to have a little breakfast. It's amazing 
absolutely amazing what you teachers uh, and students but uh, do. Uh, the last few I've been to just blew me away. The quality. You want to come out if you can and support these. They're amazing. Santa Claus used to show up, but uh, and then Buddy the Elf. Man, it would be really cool if Buddy the Elf showed up. I thought I saw him here earlier, but uh, uh, but getting back to this. So today uh, is going to be uh, we're well, sorry. Let me start over. Uh, during Advent, we're doing a missions fundraiser each Sunday, and today Sunday school will be selling mistletoe. And the fundraiser, the money goes for our food pantry, our food ministry that we do every Monday. So please uh, please check out the mistletoe right after the service. Christmas services will be on the slides. On the slides, there we go, slides. Please take a look at the slides and uh, mark your calendars accordingly. We do have a youth retreat coming up, winter youth retreat, February uh, 2nd through the 4th. Uh, save the date for that, and uh, or you can sponsor a youth as well, or both, and please see Thomas Batterton for that. And next Sunday, we'll be having our Viking food distribution. We'll be picking up our normal, our, our regular annual Viking food boxes uh, next Sunday at about 7.30. You can see me after the service. And then the other one is our Spark of Love toy drive, and that's this Saturday. Um, please bring a rat, un, excuse me, an a, a unwrapped toy this week before Saturday, and uh, you can put it in the box in the narthex. We'll be giving out toys to those less fortunate on next Saturday. What time, Kelly? What time are we planning on doing that? Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock in the morning. If you'd like to help out with that, please, uh, please, please do so. We'd love to have you. All right. Let's pray for the offering. Sounds great. Sorry, I'm waiting for the slide. <laughs> there we go. That's uh, that's prayers of the people. Let me get my book. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Jesus, uh, body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with Him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give Him thanks and praise. Father, our powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. For when He humbled Himself to come among us in human flesh, He fulfilled the plan you formed before the foundation of the world to open for us the way of salvation. Confident that your promise will be fulfilled, we now watch for the day when Christ our Lord will come again in glory. And so with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory. And we join in their unending hymn of praise. found of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts and make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he's given up to death, the death he freely accepted. He took bread and he gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks and praise. He gave it to them, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer for this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow together with our patriarch, Craig, and all the clergy. Remember, especially those who are sick or infirmed in spirit, soul, or body. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. And as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed, become the body of Christ to the world. 
Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Amen.
thanksgiving we pray, eternal God, heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. Do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world, seeking the ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world himself, not counting men's sins against him. He loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. And he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Now, one thing I'd have to say, looking out upon you, is you're not expectant enough. Would you be more expectant? It's going to be a phenomenal Christmas. You've got to be expectant, right? All right, you try as hard as you can this week along with me. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain the always. Amen. Amen.